Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? You really want to know? It might make you uncomfortable and even sound a little crazy. But if I tell you, you can't go back to sleep. Here's the truth. You're under attack. We all are. Our children, our families, our communities. The saddest part is, they're only successful because we refuse to pay attention. For centuries, even millennia, they've conspired in the shadows and worked behind the scenes and hidden the truth behind cascading waves of lies and distractions. Can we be victorious? The fusion cell. I'll be your warrior guide, retired Green Beret Master Sergeant Jeremy Brown, with former Police Sergeant Jen. Do we have all the answers? Absolutely not. But together, we'll find them. Now, wake up. We've got work to do. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fusion Cell. We have Jeremy Brown on the line. It is October 25th, 2023. And this is a very special episode because we are going to delve into the Federalist Papers. I hope everybody did their homework because I recorded it for you. So I know I did mine. I read it twice. (laughs) We have a lot to talk about. In fact, Jeremy and I were just getting into such a long discussion before we started the show. We had to, we had to put the brakes on and start recording because it's, it's actually really fascinating. um, Knowing where this is coming from at the time it was occurring for them to be writing these papers, what that background story is, and all the things that we are experiencing and seeing today in our country. So, Jeremy, I know you've done a lot of research yes. on this. Yeah, and, and just so you know, we're actually recording this in the middle of the day so that we can go extra long. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the idea uh, that I want to basically convey to everyone is that our Constitution has not been followed by our federal government for a very long time. And the reason is because those who seek despotism and and, uh, tyranny and authoritarianism uh, must eliminate individual liberty and their ability to defend those liberties. And so what I want to do, and and a common uh, cry of of these individuals uh, will, you know, refer to them as the tyrants or the despots or whatever. A common cry is, that, oh, well, today things are so much different and they could have never planned or conceived of the way the world is today. And so today's discussion, I really want to kind of delve into some founding documents and show basically two things. One, that the law is not complicated at all. And two, that our founders' intent was not hitting or untruth and that it wasn't well thought out or that it did not account for the ultimate humanity uh, desire for despotism despotism and bondage, right? That the founders thought through these things and in spite of the argument that, well, that could never happen or this could never happen, that they formed a government that took into the to account all of these things, right? And so these things were foreseen, and we're going to have this discussion around the basis and concept of uh, standing armies, the militia, and the individual right to keep and bear arms. And because this is a this is a common thing, right? I mean, 
Uh, even the president of the United States, Joe Biden, likes to say, oh, well, when the Second Amendment was passed, I mean, they only had muskets. They didn't have AR-15s with 100-round magazines or whatever uh, whatever uh, stupid, ridiculous claim he, he likes to make, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, deer don't need Kevlar vests, right? I mean, it, uh, they're not morons, okay? What they're doing is they're trying to psychologically manipulate you and use your ignorance of history, of which they've intentionally designed for you to be ignorant, right? By dumbing yes. down the schools, uh, by abolishing history, and, and and limiting free thought and the ability to critical, critically think and analyze. See, let us reason together was the cry of the, the great philosophers, right? Uh, they would get together and actually throw out opposing views, right? Uh, let me play devil's advocate is a common uh, phrase used in reasoning and logical conversation between two people that are actually just trying to solve problems. See, they don't care about solving problems because they create the problems, right? And so they want us to be ignorant of our history. They want us to be ignorant of our laws. They want to tell us that we can't possibly understand what the Constitution is. We need David Horowitz or... or uh, whoever the greatest, you know, uh, constitutional professor is, right? They only want his interpretation of the law to seep into our brain. But the reality is that the Constitution is very easy to understand if you just take the time to read it. The Federalist Papers, while it might be difficult to read because the the language and the vocabulary is so eloquent and the arguments are so profound. It's still understandable. I mean, if you read it a couple of times, you'll get it, right? Especially yeah. when you look at it from the big picture perspective. And so what I want to do today is kind of go through the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers 26 through 29, and the Constitution, and show you that our founders and the ratifiers of our federal constitution knew exactly what they were doing and why they were doing it. And their intent should carry through to today. Uh, and then we'll discuss a little bit about how those that are currently in charge of our government, whether it's at the federal, mostly at the federal, but also at the state government, mm -hmm. intentionally subvert and usurp what the Constitution was meant to do, right? And they had for a very, very long time. And see, because it's been going on for so long, we only, you know, those that even have any moderate view of history typically tend to focus on our own lifetime. And so this has been going on beyond our lifetime, right? And so we don't even think of things like standing armies as being unconstitutional. Why? Because our granddad was in the army uh, uh, during D-Day, right? He fought in the Battle of the Bulge, unlike Joe Biden's uncle, right? I mean, he uh, was in the Army, and the Army is noble, and the Army is something to be respected. Yes. I was in the Army for 20 years. But see, my own ignorance never made me question that service. And, and just because the United States Army is a standing Army that was deemed unconstitutional... Or, or should be deemed unconstitutional and argued against by our founding fathers doesn't make the service of current military members any less noble or honorable. See, they're just 
do, right? They're just yes. doing what they think is right and what they were told was right. But because of our own ignorance and lack of knowledge of why standing armies were not only discouraged, but actually pro- prohibited by the Constitution, why? Well, that was explained in Federalist yes. 26 through 29, which is why we're going to look at those today. That's awesome. Um, do you want to get into the Constitution first, or should we get into the background of how these uh, papers started? Well, let me let me just and, and we're, we're leaving in a throw in a little bit of Marbury versus Madison, right? Because the decision of Marbury versus Madison actually lays out that it is the responsibility. And now in that case, it was referencing the responsibility of judges to actually be oath-bound to look at the Constitution and analyze whether or not the laws passed by the legislature were in pursuance thereof, right? Which is the requirement laid out in Article 6, Paragraph 2. In order for the constitutional legislation to be constitutional, it must be in pursuance thereof of the standards laid out in the Constitution. So let's start with the concept Right. And, and what I want to do is I want to walk us through the mindset. Like, what did our founders go through? What were they basing their ideas of this new government on? Yeah. Well, we can go back to the Declaration of Independence. Right. And we all know that they believe that uh, all men are created equal and that are endowed by our creators with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? We know that this is their basic concept, right? But that they believe that when governments are designed to reduce the citizens under absolute despotism, right? It's the citizens' right and duty to correct this, right? And so it even explains that the colonies have suffered and, and utilized great patience uh, up to this point. Uh, and so... I want everyone to understand it. The, the term despot or despotism just simply means absolute rule, right? Or anyone like a tyrant. And that's from Webster's Dictionary. And so in the Declaration of Independence, the, uh, you know, the declarers, right, are 76 signers of the Declaration of Independence and 27 things that they actually laid out. Of those 27, Eight of them involved basically things that involved standing armies and the inappropriate use of these standing armies, right? Uh, point number 11, he has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of legislators. Well, that seems pretty straightforward. Uh, uh, item number 12, he has affected to render the military independent and superior to civil power. Well, sounds a lot like the military and intelligence industrial complex, right? Yes. They just stand away. I mean, it's the FBI. They're free to violate the law anytime they want, right? The, the Department of Defense can spy on you because they're protecting you, right? Well, this is the military acting independent of civil power and violating our constitutional rights. Uh, item 14, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. Well, that sounds an awful lot like military bases, right, <laughs> in times of peace. Remember, the key is in times of peace because the, constitutional, the Constitution certainly lays out the requirements, and we'll get to that 
that the, that the Congress can set aside land for the use of forts and arsenals and things like that. A uh, point number 16 from the Declaration of Independence for protecting them, and again, referring to these large bodies of armed troops, for protecting them by mock trial for punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states. Huh, you mean like the Capitol Police who murdered on video an American citizen, and yet, ah, oh, we're just going to dismiss that. About How about the fact that, the, you know, General Petraeus, who violated uh, the Espionage Act under U.S. law, Oh, he simply was just fired because see, he was part of the CIA, the CIA director at the time. And so uh, they have their own separate standard of justice, right? Well, this is one of the things that the that the founders complained about in this Declaration of Independence, point twenty three. He has advocated government here by declaring us out of this protection, protection and waging war against us. Uh, you mean like the war on domestic violent extremism or domestic terrorism? where the military and intelligence industrial complex is turned from an outward enemy to an internal enemy, a domestic enemy, a.k.a. the American people. Well, this was complained about by our founders. 25, he is at this time transporting armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruel, cruelty and of perfidy scarcely parallel in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy of the head of civilization, right? Left. They're referring to not only is he using his armies, but he's actually having private mercenaries do the same thing. Uh, have you ever heard a Democrat say that we need the UN to come in here and help to quell riots during the summer of love, or maybe even help with elections. Uh, and there's two more points. So let me let me call back, and then we will continue with the last two points that were enunciated and put into writing in the Declaration of Independence that proves that our founders really didn't like this overwhelming use of force against them by standing armies and military power. Sounds good. The caller has hung up. I think it's really important to think about what was happening at that time for them to have these kinds of thoughts and feelings. We know that the the straw that broke the camel's back, um, the taxation without representation. And it seems like we're here now. But when we talk about the Constitution, we talk about the Federalist Papers, these men had a lot of experience seeing what was going on with the monarchy and not just theirs. They're living obviously very close to France, Spain, Portugal. Okay. So they know what's going on. They reading these papers. It was eerie. The echo of history. They've witnessed these things before. That's why they came up with the constitution that they did. Unknown caller. Trying to mitigate those problems an incarcerated individual at citrus county florida this call is not private it will be recorded and may be monitored if you believe this should be a private call please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number to accept this free call press one to refuse this brief thank you for using securus you may start the conversation now all right do you have me yes 
um, when you were offline, I, I just wanted to bring uh, to the fact that, you know, these men had extensive experience from Europe. It's not like they just came up with this constitution. They had seen what not only happened with their own monarchy, but many other monarchies and governments that they were surrounded by. And so they wrote this. Well, yeah. They wrote it with a purpose. No, no, go ahead. And they, and they tried to mitigate a lot of the problems um, that we're seeing right now. And when I was reading these papers, it was just a, a very era, eerie echo of history is, is what I got from it. Well, of course, remember, these men were highly educated in history, right? And they're in the midst of their own revolution against these very principles, right? And so uh, they understood perfectly well, like, they're, they're not morons, right? They're, they're much less morons than our current representatives are, right? Um, but but two, two final points. In point 26, they lay out that the, the king has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioner of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their own hands. Well, sir, this might sound a little bit ominous, and when I make this reference, you might say, well, that's a little bit over the top. But wait, basically what he's saying is that he would capture colonists on the high seas and then enlist them and turn them against Americans. Mm. Well, indirectly, you might be able to make the connection between military and federal law enforcement recruitment, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like the FBI field office in Tampa utilizes people from Tampa necessarily, right? No, they just assign. I mean, look at Steve Friend talked about how he was moved around, right? They assign an agent from some other that came from, maybe he came from Nebraska, and they plop them in Florida. Why? Well, because they're not Nebraskans, right? The idea is that the state, through their own uh, sovereignty, uh, you know, they, they would stick up for their own state. And, and that is what they're complaining about here, is that King George was utilizing Americans against Americans. But here's a more direct example. The use of confidential human sources by our federal military and law enforcement infrastructure, right? They arrest these Americans. They threaten them with crimes unless they turn against other Americans. Now, see, this is a much more direct example of this very thing that was complained about in the Declaration of Independence. And then, of course, the 27th point was uh, he has excited domestic insurrections among us. Huh. Sound very familiar? You know, the, the dividing through cultural Marxism of an us and them mentality. Uh, uh, the Democrats are the cultural Marxists and, and the, uh, the MAGA Republicans are the extremists. Sound familiar? He has uh, endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages who are known for warfare as an indistinguishable destruction of all ages, sexes, sexes and conditions. I mean, you could have, you could equate the failure to enforce the southern border as a similar example of the same thing. Basically, they're saying you aren't protecting us from the violations from the Indian savages as laid out at the time. Mm -hmm. So 
These are some concepts that were laid out in the Declaration of Independence. They knew exactly what they were up against and what they were fighting against. And so Alexander Hamilton, one of the three authors of the Federalist Papers in in Federalist 26, 27, and 28, are making the arguments that were ultimately uh, ratified into the United States Constitution. And what are some of these arguments? Well, let's look at the Constitution, and then what we'll do is we'll actually go to the Federalist Papers themselves and see what these precursor arguments were. Now, a little bit of history, Jen asked about this in the pre-call, is where did the Federalist Papers lie? Okay, so you had the Declaration of Independence, you had the Revolutionary War fault, and then in the interim, you had the establishment of the Articles of Confederation. But see, the Articles of Confederation were kind of like a temporary solution, and they weren't working out as well as they liked. So the, you know, the states uh, formed the Constitutional Convention. They, they wanted something more uh, robust and more solid, something better than the Articles of Confederation. And so in this long process of these constitutional delegations coming together and ironing out how are we going to form this new government, this new experiment in liberty and freedom and self-governance? Uh, you basically had two camps. You had the anti-federalists and then you had the federalists. And so the federalist papers were anonymously written articles that were published under pseudonym, the pseudonym of Publius, basically explaining to the people, because it was the people that needed to contact their delegates and say, we support this, we don't support it, we want this, we don't want that, right? And so these were the public arguments on behalf of the Constitution and some of the concepts and principles uh, that were ultimately ratified. Now remember, this predates the Bill of Rights. This is just simply the Constitution. And so while I will briefly discuss the Second Amendment, because uh, it's important, the concept against standing armies and how uh, we were to provide for the common defense mm-hmm. as laid out in the Constitution were actually ratified with the Constitution in 1789. Uh, in 1791 is when the Bill of Rights came in and uh, the founders felt the need to actually codify the militia and the individual right to keep and bear arms because they said, look, if we don't put this in writing, uh, these clowns are just going to violate it, right? Yeah. So, with that said, the argument is clearly laid out. We're going to go to Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution. Now, there are 18 twos, right? A two. Uh, this is what the legislative, the legislative body has the power to do this thing, to do this thing, right? And so there's 18 laid out in Section 8 of Article 1 of the Constitution, eight of the 18 can be attributed or referencing of how defense is supposed to be done or how the militia is meant to be formed, right? And so the very first paragraph, right? Uh, Let's see. It says it lays out that uh, uh, Congress is to provide for the common defense. It doesn't say provide a common defense. It says provide for a common defense. See, words mean things, right? So let's go down to the 11th 
two statement. Congress has the power to declare war, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. All right. So Congress has the power to declare war, not the president, not the judiciary, not the Senate, but Congress has the power to declare war, right? Number 12, to raise and support armies, okay? Notice, it does not say to provide and maintain an army. It says to raise and support armies. But it goes further. It says, but no appropriation of money. To that use shall be for longer than a term of two years. Okay? Bookmark that because uh, Hamilton goes into excruciating detail as to the exact purpose of that to, right? The power to do this, right? In 13, it does say to provide and maintain what? A navy. Why? Well, because at the time, a navy was the means of outward force projection. And so a national navy was perfectly fine because uh, the, the, the sea, you know, the uh, eastern seaboard connects multiple states, right? And so therefore, it would be ridiculous to have all these uh, separate navies. So therefore, they did provide for an actual federally provided and maintained navy. The only branch of the United States military, it is constitutionally mandated. So in the 14th two, Congress has the power to make the rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. So Congress can establish rules, right? But we'll get to that a little bit later. 15, to provide for the calling forth of the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. Once again, another direct reference that there's no standing army, that if we're going to protect against uh, insurrections or repel invasions, that we would call for the militia. And then comprise this force to work towards that end, and then go back to the state, right? Yeah. And again, this can only be done for two years at a time. Point 16, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, right? And the militia it is delegated down to the state. So they can provide for them for the organizing of them, for the army and the discipline of them, but they are not to stand around in times of peace waiting to be used against whatever monster or creation warmongers can come up with. Point 17, uh, this is a little bit longer, but down at the bottom it actually says that by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be, you can do the erection of forts, magazines, arsenal, dockyards, and needful buildings, right? So again, we can't just ominous, dominus this national park because we're the federal government and we say so. No, we have to get the consent of the state in order to establish these forts and everything. But see, that seems to have gone by the wayside, right? So there you have the eight references 
to things that pertain to the defense of this nation as found in Section 8 of Article 1, which is basically what legislative powers does Congress have as it pertains to the military, right? And then, of course, you have the Second Amendment, which then codifies that a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, right? So this right, which is endowed to us by our creator, is necessary, right? It's a building block. In order to have a well-regulated militia, which is necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms must exist. Why? Because Webster defines a militia as a group of citizens that is called up by the government in time of emergency. So you can't have a militia of unarmed citizens if you're going to call them up to repel insurrections and invasions. Right. And so this is what is meant by the Second Amendment. And the founders knew exactly what they meant. Right. They meant that a military force in land should reside with the state, must regulate that power. And then in order to comprise that power, the citizens must have the individual right to keep and bear arms. Well, that argument in itself indicates that contrary to what Joe Biden believes, yes, people should have the right to have F-15s. Hell, uh, to counter Eric Swalwell, if you're going to come at me with nuclear weapons, well, then the people should have the right to nuclear weapons. Now, they love to make that argument. You have one that, minute left. That's quite absurd, right? You and Jen aren't going to get together by nuclear weapons. Right. So uh, that should get into, you know, should we even have nuclear weapons? But the point and the concept of the Second Amendment of the founding fathers at the time is that we shouldn't have standing armies because the people through well-regulated militias at the state level should be in standby if we need them. But if we need them, we must only fund them for two years at a time. And we're going to explain, through the use of the Federalist Papers, the actual explanation of that two-year concept, because Alexander does a great job of explaining that. So let me call back, and I'm sure Jen has been writing down some questions for me when I come out of the call. Okay. There's a little intermission of the windblown hair look, because... Uh the hay arrived so it's all dirty and everything now waiting for jeremy to call back so we had gone through the declaration of independence and we've gone through the constitution which the constitution is meant to put restrictions on the government right not not permissions but restrictions and, and this is further uh, expanded upon in the preamble of the Bill of Rights. Let me read the preamble of the Bill of Rights, and, and it explains why they felt that they needed a Bill of Rights in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added, right? So this is 
the mindset of our founders. They believed that government was a necessary evil, that it must be restricted and followed, and that the law, written in English words that mean things, were to be upheld. This is why they instituted the judiciary, and it was the judiciary's responsibility to act as a check on these powers. And so I want to read to you from a landmark Supreme Court case known as Marbury versus Madison. Now, this case and this ruling was in 1803, just 14 years after the ratification of the Constitution and, what, uh, 12 years after the Bill of Rights. And it was already being challenged. And so I want to read to you some of the decision in Marbury versus Madison, which was a, the ultimate underlying case was about something totally different um, but the idea that it is not simply the law, but whether or not the law conforms to the Constitution is the key aspect. And so I want to read some of this just to give an example of what the court ruled. Uh, it says, if an act of the legislator repugnant to the Constitution is void, does it, notwithstanding its invalidity, bind the court? and oblige them to give it effect. Or, in other words, though it, does, though it does not be law, does it constitute a rule as operative as if it was law? This would be to overthrow, in fact, what was established in theory, and would seem to, at first view, an absurdity too gross to be insisted on. Now, it continues on. If then the courts are to regard the Constitution, and the Constitution is superior to any ordinary act of the legislature, the Constitution, and not such ordinary act, must govern the case by which they both apply. Those then who controvert the principle of that Constitution is to be considered in court as a paramount law are reduced to the necessity of maintaining the courts uh, must close their eyes to the Constitution and see only the law. In other words, simply because the legislature passed a law, that doesn't make it constitutional. That's where the judiciary must step in, right? And so this is how we have a Congress today that nearly every aspect of their work is unconstitutional. Why? Because they have not been held accountable but the, the system over time has incrementally been shifted to favor this unconstitutional incrementalism by making it more difficult for the citizens to raise the red flag when there is unconstitutionality. But the court goes on. Could it be the intention of those who gave this power to say that in using it, the Constitution should not be looked into? That, that a case arising under the Constitution should be decided without examining the instrument under which it arises, this is too extravagant to be maintained. In some cases, then, the Constitution must be looked into by the judges, and if they can open it at all, what part of it are they forbidden to read or to obey? There are many other parts of the Constitution which serve to illustrate this subject. It is declared that no tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state. 
supposed duty on the export of cotton, of tobacco, or of flour, and a suit instituted to recover it. Ought judgment be rendered in such case? Ought the judges to close their eyes to the Constitution and only see the law? The Constitution declares that no bill of obtainer or ex post facto law shall be passed. If, however, such a bill should be passed and a person should be prosecuted under it, must the court condemn to death those victims whose Constitution endeavors to preserve? No person of the Constitution, shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Here, the language of the Constitution is addressed specifically to the court. It prescribes directly for them a rule of evidence not to be departed from. If the legislature should change that rule and declare one witness or, conf- or confession out of court sufficient for conviction, must the constitutional principle yield to the legislative act? From these and many other selections which might be made, it is apparent that the framers of the Constitution contemplated that instrument as a rule for the government of the courts as well as for the legislature. Why otherwise does it direct judges to take an oath to support it? This oath certainly applies and in a special manner to their conduct and their official character. How immoral to impose it upon them if they were to use as the instruments and the knowing instruments for violating what they swear to support. So see, Marbury versus Madison says, hey, the Constitution lays out things that Supreme law of land, and that and their legislative act is not in conformity to the Constitution. It is the judge's duty to call that out. So, see, legislators pass unconstitutional things all the time. And that is why you're probably sitting in your living room, or maybe you're in your bathroom. I don't know. But you're probably sitting there saying, but Jeremy, really, the United States Army? That's unconstitutional? That would never happen, right? Well, I just read to you what the Constitution says. I just read to you that legislatures clearly in 1803, as found by Marbury versus Madison, attempt to pass laws all the time that are unconstitutional. That's why we have the judiciary. And so that would mean that we have to understand why our Constitution says these things. And then we must also understand why our legislators refuse to follow it, right? There is a reason why we have a standing army today. There is a reason why the way we select our senators has been changed. And that reason is tyranny, despotism, authoritarianism, democracy. Yes, democracy. Democracy was evil in the eyes of our founders, which is why they didn't say, did you give us a democracy or a monarchy, Mr. Franklin? No, they said, do we have a republic or a monarchy? Benjamin Franklin Franklin replies, a republic is you can keep it, right? There's a reason why the Constitution guarantees in words the uh, 
fact that, that you are entitled to a Republican form of government. Why? Because that is the form of government that they gave us. So what is a Republican form of government? It is, in essence, representative government at the lowest level, right? So it's Article 4, Section 4. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Not Republican in the sense of the Republican Party. That's simply a name. Republican government, a republic, is different than a democracy. Benjamin Franklin described democracy as two millions and a sheep deciding what to have for lunch. Is that the form of government you want to live under? What if you're a sheep? AKA, you own an iPhone, right? No, Benjamin Franklin said, but liberty is a well-armed sheep contesting that vote, okay? The founders did not support democracy. So then why do Republicans support democracy? And the reason is because there's a big club, you're not in it, right? The reason they violate the Constitution is because nobody likes to be restricted. Jen, you're not allowed to wear makeup on the air. That would be a restriction on Jen. If she doesn't want that, neither does the legislature, right? They want authority and power and that's why they violate the restrictions laid out in the constitution and what helps every tyrant to be able to violate these rights with impunity standing armies the ability to exert violence and force on those who just won't be good slaves and that is exactly the argument made by alexander hamilton in Federalist 26 through 29. The argument that it is the people through their own individual desire for self-government, self-reliance, self-defense, that then form at the state level the ability to act as a well-regulated militia that acts as a counterbalance to the consolidated power of a federal government. It's laid out in words. It's made in clear argument. And so in the next call, I want to actually finally get around to going through some of the key points of the Federalist Papers. These actual intellectual and reasonable arguments that address the idea that we've got to have a standing army because what about safety and security? I'm pretty sure the Bible says that when they clamor for safety and security, certain destruction will come, right? It's always the tyrant that's going to tell you about all this protection they can provide you. Just simply give up your ability to protect yourself. We got this, right? You know, don't defend your own home. Just call 911. Yeah, see how that works out for you, right? Hey, you know what? We should ask the people of Israel. Hey, how does that whole, uh, you know, calling the government to come save you in the event that I don't know, somebody comes across the border and just starts raping you and chopping off your head? How does that work? Uh, you'll probably not get an answer because those people are dead. I have <laughs> so a... This is... Yes. I just have a question. Um so basically the counterbalance here to these unconstitutional laws is the judiciary. But if we have a judiciary that 
simply interprets the Constitution the way they deem fit, what's the counterbalance to that? Uh, we the people raising hell. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the, this, the counterbalance is, and this is literally stated, and, and we'll get to it, is literally stated that the states, if they have to, will be the arm of that, you know, defense, right? Mm-hmm. And when they say the arm of that defense, they mean states, if necessary, being capable of utilizing force against the federal government. So see, this is the actual true power left. that the states have voluntarily surrendered. See, we have surrendered power as citizens, as individuals, mm-hmm. and the state has surrendered its power as the actual true authority. The Constitution is a contract that was formed by the states. This laying forth contractual obligations and restrictions. What the state gives, the state can take away. But see, the states have given away this power to the usurpers, right? The federal government. And all they have to do is take that power back. And that can very easily be done. That's why the true purpose of the Second Amendment is so that the state maintain that capability. And so... Uh, we'll get into some of these finer points in the next call. Okay. The caller has hung up. If you think about it that way, or you realize the purpose of the militia to work hand in hand, or um, yeah, I guess you'd say hand in hand. I was going to say in conjunction with, because an argument is made for that, as we'll see uh, coming up with the standing army, quote unquote, you very quickly begin to realize why the militia has been demonized in modern history. You know that if you were even to look up the local militia in your area, the federal law enforcement agency called the FBI would get some kind of red flag that you've just looked that up. I guarantee it. Unknown caller. Looking up information even is no longer safe. individual at Citrus County, Florida. This call and is I've not just private. seen that you come across my feed also yesterday, I think. I need to be a private call. Please hang up bring that back around. Instructions to register this and in addition, you have a Gmail saying that there's no expectation of privacy if you're using their You may start the conversation now. All right, I'm back. Okay. So it, when you, you, I guess, I, I don't know if this is the right term to use, but if you have a militia working in conjunction with a standing military, because in, in one instance, we should have no standing military. There's a reason to have the militia and the state power. And then we begin to realize why they demonize the militias in our modern history. And I was just saying that well, of course. even if you look up through your computer, your local militia, you're going to get tagged. And we've seen what they've done uh, with the Oath Keepers. And so it's an absolute demonization of, and and this can be said for a lot of different things. I don't want to get too far away from it, but any kind of self-sufficiency. 
is is being demonized. So that's where we're at. Well, of course, because again, the tyrant needs to arrest power from the citizen in order to then turn that power against the citizen, right? And they use this incrementally through the changing of the vocabulary, right? It's why, like we just discussed, uh, we're not a democracy, but yet they always refer to us as a democracy. Why? Because they want us to not know what a representative republic is. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the Constitution requires a well-regulated militia. And so therefore, they don't want the state militia. They want a federal military that they can then wield however they see fit. So therefore, they must demonize the language of the term militia, which is why they assign a totally different meaning. The definition, the constitutional definition of militia is nothing more than citizens called up by the state in time of emergency, period, end of story. That militia should be well-regulated, meaning that when the state calls them up, they're not just calling them up out of the blue, that there's actually a system of rules and regulations in place so that when the citizen is called up, they simply fall in line into a well-regulated militia. You see, the term militia is demonized to make it sound like it's just a bunch of rednecks out in the woods or a bunch of uh, black racists. Uh, that formed some coalition. And I just had this debate with one of my fellow inmates, right? Because he was like, he was operating under the popular term of militia. And I said, well, that's not the term that they're speaking about in the Constitution. A militia is merely citizens called up by the state. And so if people can't wrap their mind around how a militia could be called up and be federalized, Well, then they don't understand that the 82nd Airborne and the 101st Airborne have completely different geographic locations, demographic makeup, TO&E, meaning uh, operational equipment, and change of command. And yet somehow they operate in concert. Why? Because there is structure in place. It's why the National Guard, which is, again, a hybrid of what the founders meant to be, right, they can be called up, they uh, answer to the governor, but yet they can be called up by the Department of Defense and the federal government, right? So if it works in those two situations, then why is it so hard to believe that the Florida militia and the Georgia militia couldn't operate in concert with each other if they actually followed the constitutional guidelines of having a well-regulated militia that would have established guidelines, rules, and policies already in place so that when they are called up, they simply operate seamlessly. And all Congress does at the federal level is provide for through appropriations. Does that make sense? Yes. And then also, if you could just... um... You know, the militias are completely different than the National Guard that we have in each state. And so what do we have that would be, you know, we have the Oath Keepers and I don't know. How how would you compare that to um, what's going on in Texas versus National Guard? Again, the Oath Keepers are, you're confusing because you're using the popular definition of militia. The Oath Keepers aren't an actual militia. 
right? The actual militia defined in the Constitution would be much more like the Texas State Guard. See, people don't notice, but the Texas has a State Guard separate from the National Guard. On the Texas State Guard name tape, it does not say U.S. Army, okay? On the National Guard uniform, it does say U.S. Army. And see, that's why I describe the National Guard is kind of a hybrid meant to dupe the American people and to make them think that, oh, well, the National Guard is actually the state militia. That's not entirely true. The National Guard is just merely a state-controlled aspect of the federal U.S. military, the Department of Defense, resources and funds, the National Guard. In addition to the state, also, but why? Because, again, like I said, it's a hybrid. It's not the constitutional form but it's just enough to dupe the American people into believing that that's the militia as intended by the founding fathers. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's All important right. to make those um, delineations because of just what you said. So much uh, rhetoric has been shoved down our throats and there's a lot of deception afoot. And they've really made a big deal out of these, the Oath Keepers. And a lot of people don't even know that there's a guard like that in Texas. And I think I, I saw recently um, that they were, that DeSantis was trying to put one together in Florida. I'm, I think he already did, but every state should have this. And it's the National Guard that we think is uh, solely for the state is really working hand in hand with the federal government. There's no delineation there. Every state without its own militia, a state-regulated militia, is in violation of the Second Amendment of the federal Constitution. In fact, as a citizen of those states, you should file suit against your state because it is through this voluntary surrendering of their own ability to defend you that violate your Second Amendment rights. But see, people don't understand this. Why? Because we've been ingrained to love our military. And again, let me not confuse this concept with that you don't respect the service provided by individuals. But the reality is that service is unconstitutional. Your local neighbor who's in the FBI is operating in an unconstitutional role. And yet our attorney general or our FBI director will go in front of Congress and make it sound like the FBI has been around since the ratification of the Constitution. Yeah. It hasn't. A transgender simply created the FBI not that long ago. Why? As a political spy agency. That is the history of the FBI. And yet this federal government that operates outside of its restrictions as laid forth by the Constitution will tell you all day long that the 18 intelligence agencies, which most were all formed after 9-11, mm -hmm. somehow have been there since George Washington. I mean, they would literally probably lie to you, much like the one congressman said, if we put too many planes on the island of Guam, it might tip over. They would probably lie to you and tell you that George Washington was the first FBI director or the uh, head of the NSA, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the level 
of buffoonery that takes place. You see, they can easily lie to you when you don't understand your history, when you don't understand the very documents that are meant to restrict these tyrants and despots from trying to hurt you. Because ultimately, that is where this all ends, right? I mean, there's never any amicable collapse of a republic. It's always painful. And so without knowing what our laws are, without knowing what our Constitution says, and without holding those responsible for following these things, without holding them accountable, well, then you get what we have now, which is an out-of-control federal government that on a daily basis violates your rights, then brags about it and says, oh, but we're going to look into it ourselves and we're going to change some policies, which basically just means we're going to make sure you don't find out about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for breaking it all down because it can be very confusing. There's a lot of different um, documents at that time. And even me reading this, I had to read it twice and I'd like to read it a third time just to gain the best understanding, but you breaking it down makes it a lot easier. So thank you for doing that. Well, I mean, this is what we have to do, right? We have to be informed. We have to be involved and we have to be moral members of society. Otherwise, this form of government does not work. And that's exactly what you see today. You see the effects of an uninformed and immoral society trying to use a system designed for the opposite. And, and basically, you just end up with a bunch of useful idiots that are being duped by those that understand exactly what they're doing in order to gain power for themselves and, in, in essence, fleece the American people. I mean, right now, what you're seeing in Congress and in Washington is the raiding of the Treasury, right? They all know that the ship is sinking, right? You know, and this is the Titanic. They were all in the room that the uh, torpedo struck. I mean, iceberg, depending on which version of history you believe, mm -hmm. okay? They were in the room. They saw the initial hole, and they're like, holy crap, we need to get the hell out of here. So where do they go? They go straight to the safe, they go straight to the lifeboat, and they stop at the buffet line along the way and fill their pockets because they know bad things are coming. And so they're raiding everything of value. Meanwhile, everyone up, else is up dancing and listening to the band and rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's us. Yes. So those in Washington that are clamoring about hundreds of billions over here and hundreds of billions over here and about how they're doing the people's work, they're not doing the people's work. They know that this ship is going down. Yeah. That's why they're insider trading. That's why they're giving themselves raises. That's why they have no desire to limit any spending at all. In fact, continue to just launder money through all of their manufactured wars because see, they're going to be fine when this is all over. You see, the government provided them with radiation pills and sat phones, okay? There's a bunker somewhere for them. It's called continuity of government. See, they're important, if they say so themselves. They are going to take care of themselves. And that is why they could care less about whether or not they're following the Constitution. Because as long as they can continue to tell you that they are following the Constitution and you don't even know what the Constitution says, well, then they're just going to continue to get away with it. And then we'll all be left standing around at the end wondering, hey, what just happened? Yes. Right? 
by Hillary's book title. What happened? We'll all be saying that. Oh, boy. All right. Tell me more about Article 26. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let me me check our time. Look, now we're going to have to call back again because we're at 14 minutes. So, um, you know, uh, let me call back. I'll try to compress the three Federalist Papers into one phone call, and then maybe we can round out with any questions or or comments or discussions about what this all means uh, in an additional call, or we can bring it all to an end. But the bottom line is we have to take responsibility for our own knowledge, right? No one's going to bring your liberties to you on a silver platter. Our founding fathers did the best that they could to put forth restrictions on the government to secure our blessings of liberty for ourselves, for ourselves and our prosperity, our children, our following generations. But if we don't care enough to learn what those restrictions are and then call out those who violate those restrictions with our voice first and our force next, well then, we're ultimately going to lose those liberties. They will not be secured. They will be taken from us. And that is why uh, you see that these that seek power uh, are always clamoring to take away your ability to demonstrate your force of accountability. Because once they do that, well, then they can just hurt you whenever they want. It'll be very easy, especially with everything being digital. All right, let me call back again. All right. The caller has hung up. When we talk about these things, it seems like things have gotten really uh, more out of hand than you would have ever thought, right? Because did I know that the uh, military was, the standing military was unconstitutional? No. Did I have a good understanding of the delineation of the militia, the National Guard, and um, right, I, the name keeps slipping every time I think of it, but the group in Texas, right? And it also in Florida. No. And once you see how far we've gone and what we're facing, you really have to, one, just like you said, educate yourself to the max to understand what's happening, to come up with a plan of action. And three, execute that plan. And you have to do that with every fiber of your Unknown being. caller. Incarcerated individual at... The future of our children this call is, not is on the line. It will be recorded and maybe it's the most important thing. This should be a private call. Please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this brief, thank you for using... Securus, you may start the conversation now. All right. So I'm going to try to breeze through uh, these four papers. We'll start with 26, and I'll try to hit a couple of key quotes and read a couple of key sections, but I want to try to fit all this into this 15-minute call. If you have any questions, certainly interrupt. But uh, the Federalist 26, the title is The Idea of Restraining the Legislative 
authority in regards to the common defense considered, right? So this is a discussion and it spans four different papers, right? And so there's there's three kind of themes that I, I that I pulled out of 26. And one is why standing armies never prohibited. And Alexander Hamilton actually points to two examples, Pennsylvania and North Carolina, that actually had some languages that attempted to restrain legislative authority, but in most cases there was none. And and he points a, a historic concept, which is basically in the good times, nobody thinks there's a need for this stuff, right? And so it's very easy for those that believe that in the future I'm gonna be able to use these powers to get to uh, bolster my own power to convince people that, ah, we're too civilized, we're too learned uh, to worry about these problems. That would never happen. You don't need to protect yourself. We'll protect you, right? And so that's kind of the basis of this argument for standing armies, right? Were you saying something, dude? No, I'm just saying yes. I'm I'm just listening. Okay. You know, uh, the, the constant reference to public safety, right? You'll be in great danger. Oh, and if we don't have this all-powerful federal government, well, we could possibly slip into anarchy. And so in Federalist 26, this is the argument that Alexander Hamilton is ultimately countering, right? And, and then he you know, talks about why must standing armies be prohibited, and he provides some examples. So here, let me read to you from Federalist 26, uh, one of the examples. In England, for a long time after the Norman Conquest, the authority of the monarch was almost unlimited. Inroads were gradually made upon the prerogative in favor of liberty, first by the barons and afterwards by the people, till the greatest part of its most formidable pretensions became extinct. But it was not till the revolution of 1688, which elevated the Prince of Orange to the throne of Great Britain, that English liberty was completely triumphant. Incident under the un, uh, undefined power of making war, an acknowledged, an acknowledged prerogative of the crown. Oh, uh, I apologize. I'm, I'm reading from a digital tablet and uh, it acts up sometimes when you try to move it with your fingers. All right. Let me go back. Uh, the English liberty was completely triumphant as incident to the undefined power of making war and acknowledged prerogative of the crown. Charles II had by his own authority kept on foot in time of peace a body of 5,000 regular troops. And this number by James II was increased to 30,000 troops. Hmm, sound familiar? Right. Always getting bigger, never getting smaller. Uh, who were paid out of the civil list at the revolution to abolish the exercise of so dangerous. It became an article of the Bill of Rights then framed that, quote, the raising or keeping a standing army within the kingdom in time of peace, unless with the consent of parliament, was against the law. And that kingdom when the pulse of liberty was at its highest pitch, no security against the danger of standing armies was thought requisite beyond a prohibition of their being raised or kept up by a mere authority of the executive magistrate. The patriots who affected that memorable revolution were too temperate, too well-informed, 
And again, I apologize. Uh, this is, I wish I had a paper copy and I could just jot my notes down. Uh, our constitution. Huh? Do you need me to send no, you? No, I, 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 ha- I have too many books. Okay. Trust me. That's a, it's a, the complicated management of knowledge here in the jail. Uh, our, our Constitution's treatment of this manner was that they wanted to put the restriction on the federal government, the legislature, in order to require them to only bring about uh, and call up forces for periods of two years. So let me read this, this explanation by Alexander Hamilton, found in in Federalist 26. The legislature of the United States will be obliged by this provision once at least every two years to deliberate upon the propriety of keeping military force on foot, to come to a new resolution on the point, and to declare their sense on the matter by formally voting in the face of their constituents. You see, the point is, the reason why we have elections for Congress every two years is for accountability reasons. If they suck, we fire them, right? Yeah. And so by requiring that every two years, your calling up of this military force must be justified and voted on before appropriations can be signed was the accountability. It was that every two years, you're going to have to face down the American people and explain to them why we still have Florida and Georgia's militias fighting an insurrection in, in California or why you sent them to Ukraine, okay? And then they have to explain this to the people, and if the people don't like what they're hearing, they simply fire them in the next election, and the problem is solved. Again, he continues, they are not at liberty to vest in the executive department permanent funds in support of an army. If they were even incautious enough to be willing to repose in such an improper confidence, as the spirit of party in different degrees must be expected to infect all political bodies, there would be no doubt persons in the national legislature willing enough to uh, arraign the measures and uh, criminate the views of the majority. So, in other words, uh, what do we what do we have now? We have the Defense Department, which falls under the executive branch, that has an annual budget. This is exactly what he's talking about not being able to do. Right? That it is Congress every two years that must justify the spending for calling up of the militias. Right? And so he goes on, schemes to subvert the liberties of a great community require time to mature them from execution. An army so large as seriously to minister liberties could only be formed by progressive augmentations, which would suppose not merely a temporary combination between the legislator and executive, but a continued conspiracy for a series of times. He's literally describing, it's almost like he's looking into a crystal ball and predicting exactly what has happened. And so Jen was talking earlier before this episode started and was talking about one of the listeners talking about how it was World War II and the, and the use of the atomic bomb that he felt kind of justified the way the current military industrial complex started. And I said, no, 
it was the beginning to involve ourselves in foreign entanglement. That was the beginning of the military-industrial complex. You know, the, the French supported the Americans during the American Revolution, but yet when the French asked us to support them, we refused. Why? Because that wasn't the purpose of America's military. We weren't going to get involved in foreign entanglement. And yet now, literally politicians refer to us, the United States, as being at war. What war? Well, the Ukraine war. They see us as being part of the Ukraine war. This is a foreign entanglement that our founders never intended us to be involved in. And yet here we are. Why? Because when you have a standing army, you got to use it, baby. That's right. You just can't let it sit there looking all pretty. And we've been lucky that they've been illegally using this standing army against foreign people. But now, who are they using it against? They're using it against us. And so... You have to justify its existence, right? You have to keep you that have budget to coming. Justify, you have to justify its existence. But let me find one more quote, because I, I really... Uh, we could just go on and on and on talking uh, forever. Uh, but there's a great quote in here that actually lays out uh, the argument. You have one minute left. Um, uh, well, you know, I'll find it as I'm calling back, and then I'll leave you with that quote, and then I'll leave you to finish analyzing the remainder of the three uh, Federalist Papers yourself, and then and then we can discuss. But I definitely want to cover this one quote because it describes exactly what an executive will do once he gains power of a standing army. Mm. So we'll talk about that when I come back. Okay. The caller has hung up. I wrote down a few quotes as well from Article 26. One of them was, uh, independent of parties in the national legislature itself, it's often... As often as the period of discussion arrived, the state legislatures, who will always be not only vigilant but suspicious and jealous guardians of the rights of the citizens against encroachments from the federal government, will constantly have their attention awake to the conduct of the national rulers and will be ready enough, if anything improper appears, to sound the alarm to the people and not only be the voice but, if necessary, the arm of their discontent. Not happening, is it? It is. Is it presumable that every man, the instant he took his seat in the National Senate or House of Representatives, would commence a traitor to his constituents and to his country? Such presumptions can fairly be made. There ought to be at once an end of all delegated authority. The people should resolve to recall all the powers they have here, heretofore parted with out of their own hands and to divide themselves into as many states as there are counties in order that they may be able to manage their own concerns in person. Those two really stuck out to me. Did you anticipate every man the instant he took his seat in the National Senate or House of Representatives would commence a traitor to his constituents and to his country? Is that what we have today? Do you trust your representatives? Or are we 
being taxed without proper representation? And how does that happen? We know how it happens now. There's a deep state at work who frequently uses power and money and blackmail. Unknown caller. Against our representatives. An incarcerated individual at Citrus County, Florida. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this free thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. So here is a great quote talking about the dangers of an executive resting uh, the powers away from the legislature. So it has been said that the provision which limits the appropriation of money for the support of an army to a period of two years would be unavailing because the executive, when once possessed when a force large enough to all the people into submission, would find resources in that very force sufficient to enable him to dispense with the supplies from the acts of the legislature. The question again recurs upon what pretense could he put in possession, could be put in possession of such a force of that magnitude in time of peace. If we suppose it to have been created in consequence of some domestic insurrection or foreign war, then it becomes a case not within the principles of objection, for this is leveled against the power of keeping up troops in the time of peace. And so here... He's basically arguing that, I mean, he could just come up with excuses. And that explains some of the ongoing constantly. Have you ever heard the saying, to a hammer, every problem is a nail, Yes. right? Mm -hmm. Well, to a standing army, every solution is military force, right? And so these are the dangers. But again... I wanted to basically introduce you to the idea that all of these problems were discussed and thought out well in advance. And after these discussions, after these sessions of reasoning, after these explanations to the American people as to why our new constitution will not allow for standing armies, after that explanation, to this day, we still have to battle with our courts to claim our right to keep and bear arms. We still have to wrap our minds around an out-of-control budget that gives money every single year, like clockwork, like some type of God-ordained duty to provide a massive, nearly trillion-dollar-a-year military budget. And that doesn't even count all the money we send to foreign militaries to do things that we won't even do in our own country, like secure our borders. It's completely absurd, but yet our own ignorance has led us down this path. Our own complacency to, to just stand by and allow these things to happen because some slick-talking used car salesman, a.k.a. former lawyer, a.k.a. congressman, has told us that we must do these things. And so now, for 
literally a hundred plus years, we've had this standing army. And what have we done with it? We gallivanted around the world, killed a bunch of people and broke a bunch of things and run ourselves into $33 trillion worth of debt, if you even believe that number. Many numbers I've heard that are actually well over $100 trillion. And now, because there just ain't enough war for them to find to justify their production lines, they've got to now turn the 18 intelligence agencies that somehow apparently just popped up out of the blue over the last almost 250 years. We have to turn that military-industrial-intelligence complex against the very American people. To the point, while they clamor about wars in, in Ukraine against Russia and in Israel against Gaza and Iran, and yet I guarantee you that equal, if not more, capabilities and assets are currently at this very moment being used against American the American people than are being used against Hamas against Russia, against Iran, or even China. And that is the reality of the standing army, the standing military industrial complex of which Eisenhower, who was a five-star general in said military industrial complex, warned us about. A man that fought in wars, saw the application of wars, Right? Why General Smedley Butler said war is a racket. Right? This is the danger of the standing army. And at the same time, the very explanation as to why the Second Amendment gives you, the American citizen, the right to keep and bear your arms. To be able to respond to an American president that says, if you go against me, you better have that 15. He's exactly right. It might be the only honest thing Joe Biden's ever said from the from the podium. When a U.S. congressman says, oh, in order to take on the government, you need nuclear weapons. He's right. I mean, they're admitting to you what they're willing to do with the power they've given themselves. But see, our founders gave us an equal, if not greater, power. Because they always knew that we would outnumber them. In fact, uh, in one of the later Federalist papers, uh, it mentions that as the government grows, so too does the populist base. And so, therefore, there would always be a counteracting power. This was the intent of the way the founders wrote the Constitution and the restrictions that they put upon it, as well as the purpose of the Second Amendment. The purpose of the Second Amendment is not a conspiracy theory. It's a mandated obligation of the American citizen to stand and throw off forms of government that might reduce them to absolute despotism. It's enunciated in the Declaration of Independence, in the United States Constitution, and here in Federalist 26 through 29. So don't be told by your local lawyer, judge, politician, that the reason you have a right to keep and bear arms is to protect you from Antifa thugs or smash-and-grab robberies or to be able to go out and hunt for turkey on Thanksgiving Day. No. It's to protect you 
from the FBI coming to round you up because you voted for Trump. That is the true purpose. And if you don't believe me, just ask Alexander Hamilton. He'll tell you. Man. So Jen? I, I appreciate all that, but um, now I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, quite frankly, just, we all should be, right? If you're not uncomfortable, you're not you paying just attention. Realize, did you just realize that you're either a patriot or a terrorist? We just don't know which one yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it just kind of makes it, I mean, I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but it makes it almost even more overwhelming to think about uh, how we have to turn this country around as if we already didn't have enough on our hands and then come to find out that uh, we're just working without a constitution i mean the deception and the lies are even deeper than we thought and and just as you said when you are born into this way of thinking or it's ingrained in you that's how they change you over generations you get so far away from the truth it doesn't get discussed anymore in the education systems you don't talk about it at the dinner table um when they inundate these economic stresses you all you're doing is trying to survive, go to work, keep your job, raise your children, and it, they've just taken us so far away from truth that it's truly disturbing. Um, but people need to wake up first, educate yourself, figure out what's going on so you know what the problem is before we can start uh, fixing it. So we just have a lot of work and, to do. And the reality, and the reality is. It's not really that hard. In fact, when get you a copy of the Constitution, and then instead of reading We the People of the United States, replace that with Dear Jen, right? Yeah. Because that's who it's written to. It's written to you, and it's written to them. It's Dear Jen, we've written this letter on behalf of you in order to explain to them what they can and cannot do. In fact, it's mostly what they can't do, right? But that's the way we should read our Constitution, and we should read it. And then once we read it, we should march down to our state legislator's office, and we should say, I've got some questions for you, Mr. State Rep. Um, why are you idly sitting by and allowing the federal government to violate this concept and this concept and this concept and this concept? of the U.S. Constitution, of which you, state legislature, are actually empowered to enforce. And when are you going to get around to actually correcting this problem? And then maybe make an appointment with your governor, because, see, these are the people that are actually given the ultimate responsibility to keep the federal government in check. And then we're given the responsibility to keep them in check. And so that's what we have to do. Stop fawning and salivating over federal election cycle and yes. start paying more attention to your state election cycle because they're the ones actually with the power. And they'll listen to you. Why? Because they're not in Hollywood for the ugly, a.k.a. federal politics. Yeah. 
They need your attention. They're like the really hot girl that wears glasses and doesn't know how to do her hair, but if you would just give her a makeover, she'd really be beautiful. That's your state legislature. Pay some attention to her. She's the, she's the keeper, okay? And that is the way they've duped us into this national politics uh, trap, right? Because I'm going to tell you right now, your U.S. congressman is not going to listen to you. Type them anything and see what kind of form response that you get. But you can probably actually schedule a sit-down lunch with your state rep. And the funny thing is, according to the Constitution, they're the ones actually with the power. And so that's really how we're going to take this country back, hopefully, right? And see, here's the thing. The cultural Marxists, the George Soros infiltrators, they've known this all along. That's why they're actually funding these state office things. We, we don't pay attention to them because Fox News tells us that it's our U.S. congressman and our U.S. senator and our president of the United States that actually matter. You never, Jim, when was the last time you saw a national news story about a state legislator? Only recently because of the Speaker of the House. Otherwise, you never hear about them. You never hear about them. You never have uh, anybody getting a state rep's point of view on any topic. Why? Because that's not what they want. Right. They want you to believe that the federal government has all the authority so that they can take away your liberties. Yeah. Well, we definitely need to have more of these um, sessions, understanding sessions so that people have the confidence to go to their uh, local office and have a conversation or, you know, make contact with their representative. What do you have in store for us next? Oh, well, I mean, I've got all kinds of things in store. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I've already been deemed a terrorist, so they locked me away. So I've got nothing but time on my hands to help to make everybody uh, at least think about these principles. And look, maybe I'm wrong. Hey, read through it yourself and try to prove me wrong. I'd be more than happy to have the discussion. So um Let's see, look, what are we having? Oh, Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be part of a Twitter space, mm-hmm. I think being hosted by the Gateway Pundit, so we're going to simulcast, simulcast that Thursday night, correct, Jim? Yes. And then we've got some other topics that we're, trying, that we're trying to work and collect as much information so we can provide you with, uh, with information so that you can make informed decisions you know, the concept of informed consent that seems to have been forgotten. Uh, so in, in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to have some, hopefully some more deep dive topics, depending on how much I can get uh, Jen to work. Not enough. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for enduring this marathon episode. And uh, hopefully you learned a little something and uh, we can start getting this shit steering in the right direction. I sure did. I'm already looking forward to the next one. So give us a homework assignment. We'll do it, Jeremy. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Bye. A lot to think about there. And, you know, we had this conversation and again, I read these chapters twice 
but I need to read them again and to get the best understanding that I can. I would I would actually like a a list in front of me of topics. To, I mean, you guys know me at this point. I'm not the great uh, recaller off the top of my head. L- Laura Loomer is like an encyclopedia. Jeremy Brown's like an encyclopedia. I'm more I need to have these things um, laid out in front of me. And I think a lot of other people do, too. Um, to have the confidence to have these conversations with others and especially to have them with your local representatives and even in your local communities. If you go to your uh, local libertarian club, your Republican club, your Democratic club, okay, whatever uh, political club that you belong to, and it should even move outside of those circles, right? You should be talking to your neighbors about it, but to do so with confidence, uh, I think we need to keep having these conversations, ask those questions, and we are lucky enough that Jeremy Brown has already done his homework, and so we can rely on him to break down some of these concepts and also give us some of the history behind it. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Tonight I am going to see uh, Dinesh D'Souza's police state, so I will report back as soon as I can on how that went. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. We'll see you tomorrow night in the fusion cell. And whatever you do, don't do nothing. World domination. Same old dream. The universe grows smaller every day. birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. It was a great word.